This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. Today I'm talking with LA journeyman Randy Cook. His list of credits includes Hilary Duff, Kelly Clarkson, Jesse McCartney, Natasha Bedingfield, and Ringo Starr. His new recording project is a funky fusion-y instrumental quartet headed up by bassist Derek Frank, a veteran of Shania Twain and Gwen Stefani's bands. We're happy to welcome Sure Microphones as our newest sponsor. This year we've been talking a lot about recording from home, and for those of you who are just starting out or are looking to supplement your existing arsenal of mics, Sure's DMK5752 drum miking bundle is perfect, and Sure is running a special deal on right now for just $349. This kit includes four must-have microphones, three SM57s, and a Beta 52 kick mic. As many of you know, the 57 is an industry standard when it comes to miking up snare drums, but it's also great for just about anything from toms to percussion and even vocals or room mics. In other words, you'll find SM57s in every studio from Ocean Way, Nashville, to Abbey Road, to my neighbor's basement. The Beta 52A kick drum mic is also one of our favorites, also an industry standard, providing punch and low end all in one. If these were the only four microphones you had, you'd be ready to record. If you were looking to expand your collection or need to upgrade to pro end mics, the DMK 5752 bundle is perfect. I personally don't think you can ever have enough SM57s and the Beta 52A is just a great all around kick mic for tons of different applications. This package comes with clips and tom mounts for the SM57s and a carrying case. Again, just $349 for a limited time. There's a link in the show notes to learn more about this great deal. You can subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash workingdrummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So Randy originally hails from Toronto, but I think of him as a quintessentially L.A. drummer in the best sense. Versatile, energetic, young at heart, and of course, busy. So let's get to it. Here's Randy Cook. Thank you. 
I did like seven years at one studio, and now I'm about two two years in at a new one. Oh, cool. Where the studio is not owned by me, mm-hmm. but I have a, a very unique arrangement whereby I have my kit set up, mic'd 24-7. Nice. And I still have the clients pay them for their hour mm-hmm. or hours, whatever. And that's it. That's what I. That's sort of my 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 thing. At home, I just have. Uh, you can't see, but behind me, there's a little electronic kit here. Oh yeah, yeah. We just fuck around, and if I have to work on something and or practice something, which I'm so bad at doing, but I, I'm always telling myself I'm going to be more motivated. <laughs> and you're you're um, selling yourself short there, because because the electronic drum set is not the only thing. Like to the right and the left of it looks like fucking drum paradise with shelves full wow. of it. <laughs> this side is where most of the kits are and then kick drums are up there yeah percussion is all in those bins but all the snares i have a few back way back in here mm-hmm. no we're in another whatever just if i had to do a local thing but all the snares are at the studio most of my symbols are at the studio you know because i don't have what you have i can't record here right I, you know right where do you well, live in la yeah uh, Sherman Oaks, right on, right on uh, uh, Kester, right by Ventura Boulevard. You, it sounds like you have a really kick-ass setup with like a fully outfitted studio to just go there whenever you want, and I do. that that uh, you know has many many perks. But there are also many perks to just being able to no fucking kidding <laughs> go down. Oh, the hall. I, you know, I know the grass is greener. I mean. It's Mutual Admiration Society for sure, because yeah. I because so many uh, during this time have gotten that shit together, and I'm like, fuck, <laughs> you know. Anyways, yeah, it's really good that you've got that. It's cool. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning how, man. Getting some good good results in the early going, slow going, <laughs> but uh, I love, yeah, I love. So, like, has has recording work since uh, since COVID hit? Has has it gone up? Has it down? Is it steady? Yeah. So, work during COVID. I mean, for I think a lot of us, it's uh, all live work is gone. Right. <laughs> Zero. Right. Um, there have been some uh, a few offers that have trickled in with camps that I work with, but I have uh, graciously uh, declined those just mm-hmm. due to my own my own health and safety, um, you know, concerns. And, uh, so yeah, I'm staying home and, and the studio side, the, the session work side and the demo side has been still steady, if not a little more, because mm-hmm. y- you're going to get either people that don't have budgets because they're being very conservative with their money as we all should be. But then you get some people that can afford to literally during this time go, you know what? I've had some files on a hard drive for, for a year, man, now's the time I'm going to start sending some files around it and, and, you know, producing up my songs. And so I end up being the recipient of some of that, you know? Right. right. And have you uh, found the need to sort of like, uh, you know, branch out more in an effort to get more of that kind of work, like going on air gigs or sound better, or are you like, you have kind of a solid enough network there that that existing network before COVID is kind of coming through for you during COVID. Uh, I am fortunate in that respect that I just still am doing stuff for, for my internal social network. And, you know, I think that with the advent I will tell you what I have done and paid more attention to, and it has brought some results that I've seen is just being more diligent at posting video stuff on Instagram 
and YouTube. And, yep. you know, it, it never used to be like this to, to get work mm-hmm. or to be noticed or heard. You know, people had to do that much more organically. Now, man, if you're not, you know, and I'm super guilty of this. I don't post enough. I don't post enough drum stuff. I don't post like whatever it is that works best for you or I as players. It's like I'm envious of the guys that I see posting every day, you know, and I see why they have their social currency numbers up and I see that. And, you know, anyway, so um, thanks for this therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this is a lot of the time, man. Like so many, so many of these interviews are just like, fuck man, I know. Yeah. It's like, we're all in this together and like COVID or not, we're all going through the same shit in the music business, no matter where we live, no matter what kind of music we play. Um, for sure, for yeah. sure, and I get uh, that. So that's been it. You know, more posting, more. Um, you know, I, I was talking with a, a, another great session player the other day, and and she had mentioned that. Oh, you know, I I I've done some video for this session or that session, and I was like, you should be filming every session. It doesn't. You may not post it, but you know, six months down the road when that material is released or unreleased if that's going to show a different side of your playing, if that's going to somehow round out your, your post, like all of that stuff to me ends up getting tossed in the pile and helps, helps the, the long run, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So, uh, that's something that I, that I've been trying to adopt as much as I can in terms of my posts, in right. terms of the I put up content. Right. right. And it, it, yeah. it makes me think like, you know, I've, I've said many times in the last eight months that, you know, the ability to, to remotely record um, is where it was going anyway for everybody. Um, for sure. For and, sure. and COVID just accelerated that. Um, but, you know, uh, similarly, the, the idea that your social media feed is your calling card and your audition reel uh, <laughs> is, I mean, it was going that way anyway, and now it's more true than ever. Um, yeah, because absolutely. we can't gather, we can't go hang, we can't go to a jam session. And, absolutely. And, absolutely. Know, um, uh, so that's the public I, square now. This is the landscape we live in <laughs> and it's just not that we haven't even, I mean, I think that there are, uh, let's see, we talked about, you know, now drummers are having to adapt and get home setups, right? Home rigs. Okay. I got to buy mics. I got to learn about preamps. I got to learn about plugins. I got to learn about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that this has forced people to do, which is for the better anyways. Right. But then you got to learn Final Cut Pro or you got to (laughs) learn, you got to learn a, a video editing. So all these things, whether you went into it, kicking, scratching and screaming, it, it's all making us better. It's all making us more viable resources because now we can send you a track, send you the video, post the video ourselves, um, record, you know, we're becoming, we're, 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 uh, sharpening these skills. We never thought we'd even have to worry about, you know, right. We're all, we, we all have to become like these one-stop shop production audio (laughs) video studios. Totally, It's insane. And final cut pro is like, that's, that's one of the next frontiers for me. I'm still, (laughs) I'm still sitting here making weird faces at iMovie and, right, and right, you know, I've yeah. been able to piece together some things that are like watchable, you know, with, with sure, the audio sure, that I've been sure. doing. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that one's not intuitive for me. And, <laughs> and, 
Uh, yeah. Ugh. Um, but yeah, I've been seeing like some of what you're talking about. Like your, your feed has like, you know, a, a record that, uh, just came out and you did the session six months ago or whatever. And you've yeah. got, you've got footage of the session of that take, you know? Absolutely. And, and I think that that's, it's, uh, super, super valuable, mm -hmm. like to be able to have that in the, in the bank, like just sort of sitting by on a drive because, uh, you know, for an example, I did a thing, um, for a producer for a Disney animation and it was very orchestral and not drum groove oriented. It was like, it was like almost Broadway esque. And I thought, Oh, this would be an interesting thing to put up on my feed to sort of show that side of my playing and my reading abilities. Mm -hmm. And so I text the guy and I say, Hey, you know, I took video of those three songs and he goes, okay, great. They'll be out, I think in a year. So let's check back with, and I'll have to check with Disney. And so, but still, if that happens in a year, it's going to still, for the one day that I post it, I'll be super proud of the fact that I can show that. And so always videotape, like, you know, um, yep. I also uh, twice now have been thinking about, well, I did this session eight years ago. The song's been released, but of course I never videotaped. I never took any kind of video whatsoever. We weren't really concentrating on that aspect of anything back then. Mm -hmm. So I convinced the producer to let me go back in the studio and recut the drums almost identically to the original recording. Wow. With the understanding that you still have to use the new drums so that I can post the video of me actually playing that song that was released eight years ago. Oh, man. And, you know, the posts that a couple of months ago, I threw a couple of reggae things up. Those songs, I think, were six years old. Mm -hmm. That's so because cool. Because I, I felt it was better than lip syncing. Right. Totally. Yeah. To what I did. I just never want to do that. I feel kind of silly. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you want to put video of you people watching you play and the song's already done and gone. So, um, yeah, so I have another one in a couple of days that I'm going to put out that I, uh, was like a, a song that I did uh, for, uh, was, I think, eight years ago. It was the huge Japan um, 9.0 earthquake that had, that caused a tsunami. And, and it was the song was kind of a We Are the World-esque thing, but it was a, a Julian Lennon track. So oh, cool. And there's a video. So I just a couple of days ago went back in and recut the drums so that I can put up a very just short 60 second. I'll still send people back to the original, but at least my post will be me playing, replaying that song. The same parts, you know, so yeah. the producer's happy and every, not, nothing, nothing shifts to playing, you know, wing doesn't tip too much. But yeah, right, so, right. That's another thing I think is, is fun to do. Yeah, it's been super fun um, and super challenging. Uh, you know, like when <laughs> when uh, when the, when the red light is on for you know audio recording, that's kind of one headspace. But the stuff that I've uh, done video for in here, that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> you know, and now I'm trying to I'm fucking with lighting and angles, and I'm getting my wife in here to <laughs> right. You know, right. Um, yeah. right. Get some. <laughs> right. I I did one I did one camera angle like from the front of the kit and she looked at it and she was like, No, the camera just goes straight up your nose. You can't use that. <laughs> I love it. I like, yeah. Shit. <laughs> thank goodness for thank goodness for directors. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. And she's got a great eye for all that stuff. Like she does marketing and some graphic design and, and you know, so uh it's it's been frustratingly educational. 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, I forgot about that. Yeah, absolutely. Angles and lighting. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And you have to buy stuff like off Amazon, like little LCD lights. And <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't gotten oh there yet. Oh my God. Man, I'm you will. I'm sure I will. Fuck you will. God. Hey, I own a lav mic now. I never <laughs> owned a lav mic in my life. And now it's, it's literally mandatory practically because we've switched to podcasting and vodcasting and, you know, yep. teaching lessons and, you know, you don't want to have to just keep, you know, reaching for, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I wonder if, man, now that, now that you mention it, I, I might should get a lav <laughs> mic for, for the lesson thing. That's well, the lesson thing makes sense because when you're sitting at the kit, if you had a lav mic and a foot switch, yep. switch the audio on chitty chat, switch it off bang it out yeah you know. yeah of course with a lot of my students it would just be like hey hey <laughs> wait a second okay wait wait hey wait a second wait. okay good good hey yeah <laughs> right um, i understood man. everything i knew exactly what i was doing wrong there by the way <laughs> saying that. um so in terms of playing live uh i have i have played like i think three gigs live in the last uh you know 10 months um and yeah. one of them was a drive-in gig and the other two were very like outdoor socially distanced things um sure and when when this hit um and as it sort of you know became clear how how serious it was did did you make the decision like i'm i'm just not playing live until this is over or did you <laughs> sort of uh like you mentioned, you've, you've had some offers come along that you had to sort of politely decline. W was it because you were just like blanketly refusing everything or was it because you had sort of an idea of, uh, you know, safety that, that these gigs did not meet? Like, where are you at with your criteria as far as what you leave the house that, for? That's a really easy question. <laughs> uh, really easy question. It was absolutely blanket. It, it, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now, what, uh, I'm not, uh, during COVID, I'm not getting on a plane. I don't judge those who did or would. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter. I'm not ever going to judge anybody for whatever reason, whatever their motivation is. But for me, um, uh, I just want to stay uh, away from air travel. Now, if one of those gigs had been in California where I could drive four hours, six hours, and I can control my own social distancing. I right, would have done it. Right. I would have done it. But most of the camps I work with are sort of weekend warriors. They're fly dates. They're one-offs. And um, and most of those dried up anyways because of COVID. Right. But a couple, you know, uh, fell through the cracks and were like, oh, no, no, we're still going to do this and do that. And I just, it wasn't for me as far as uh, uh, literally a health issue. You know, I just don't want to risk uh, I don't want to get it. I don't want to. And even if I got it and I was fine, I don't want to give it to you know, all the yeah. all the points that we already know. I'm not. Uh, I know I'm. Um, I'm stating the obvious here, but yeah. Right. So that that's that's what it means. So so yeah, zero live work because of that. But because of that, the people that I work with aren't doing it mostly anyways. Right. So I don't right. even have to say no because they're not asking. <laughs> so what are the criteria uh, for you to start saying yes to live work again? Hmm. Uh, well, I still feel that um, until there's uh, uh, we uh, live in a vaccinated society and yep. and it's and it's safer. Um, I I still feel as strongly as I did in March about air travel, mm -hmm. and 
I would, you know, like I like I said, if if there was local stuff, I would I would seriously consider that depending on situation by situation. If it was outdoors, because remember, it's California, we can do sure, that all yeah. All of that stuff would make me feel a little safer, and and so yeah, I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, there have been a few outside. Most of the sessions I do are already have social distancing built in already mm-hmm. because. I roll up to the studio. The the awesome uh, guys that own the studio, they're on the other, you know, I, I work out of Treehouse. It's Dusty and Justin. You know, whether they're both there or one or the other is there, they're on one side of the glass and I'm on the other. I can literally just hand them a drive. Right. And walk back into the studio. And, and I mean, really, uh, <laughs> most sessions are like that now anyway. So not right. much changed. I haven't really had to change much. But uh, I have had a couple of sessions, outside sessions, where, you know, the standard things have all applied. Masks all the time. Right. When we're around each other, once we're in a room after having been tested, all that stuff, you know, there's also a level of faith and trust you need to put in people because you and I both know if I get a test today, it doesn't mean that I didn't pick it up five days ago. Yep. Now we're educated. We all know that's not a hall pass. Sure. So there's still a leap of faith there. And right? just the idea of trust between uh, your colleagues and employers, like I think, you know, that that had a lot of currency before in terms of like, who are the, who are the people that you know are going to have your back on a gig, yeah. right? Absolutely. Whether it's a session or a tour or whatever. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, chances are those are the people that you're going to be able to trust now. <laughs> yeah, to not kill yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, you know, since since March, since the middle of March, maybe second third week, I have uh, if I've done you know uh, you know fifty uh, demo sessions, um, only two have been out outside ones where I have have gone and gone somewhere to play, and um, since March I have been to uh, I think. Uh, off the top of my head, one outside socially distanced birthday gathering with, I think, uh, eight people hmm. in a large area outside in a backyard patio. Yeah. You know, like, so really, I mean, it, it is what it is. We're, we're stuck in it and we're going to see this through, right? You yeah. Know? Yeah. I hope so. Here's to it not being like that again, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I was having, um, I was exchanging texts with, uh, you know, Nick Ruffini? Drummer's, of course, drummer's yeah. resource guy. Uh, we were talking about um, uh, the whole restaurant industry because his family's been in the restaurant business for you know eight hundred years or whatever. Sure. Um, sure. And I see so many uh, parallels between uh, you know the restaurant industry and the music industry, and how I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's it's really going to come back in any meaningful way until long after there's a vaccine and until there's just that safety net because you can you can manage it in the meantime right like like restaurants can set tables far apart and they can do takeout and sure. you know we can do our little socially distanced uh outdoor <laughs> gigs and and whatever but um that you know that's that's not risk free and and especially now that risk is biting a lot of people in the ass Right. Yeah, it is. So yeah, absolutely. So I almost, I almost feel like it. You know, it would just be better to just like rip the bandaid off and everybody just shut the fuck down. (laughs) Just stay home. Yeah. Yeah. For a month, we can do it. Um, Right. As a, as a, as a nation. But then on on the other side of the coin, like you know, 
it, it, you and I aren't in this situation, thankfully, but there are a lot of musicians who have to go out, who have to go play that wedding gig because um, yeah. they need yep, the fucking money and there's, you know, wait staff at restaurants. and, and yeah, Absolutely. And that's why I said do? I never judge. Everybody has their own set of motivations to do or not do something. And you can't judge anybody for that at all, ever. I know? can judge someone. I, I will not judge someone for going to do what they need to do to make the money and being as safe about it as possible. Yes. I will judge the fuck out of someone for just going about what they think is normal life. Because uh, absolutely, you know. <laughs> I, drive, I drive down Ventura Boulevard. There are numerous sidewalk cafe, uh, you know, places open, and all the tables they might be spaced a little farther, but they're all full. Everybody's still like almost, you know, a couple of feet from each other, and nobody's wearing masks. And I think, and I end up feeling like I'm the odd one out. Like right. uh, me and me and my gal go for a walk, and we we end up feeling like we're in the minority. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people we pass jogging, cycling, skateboarding, walking, their dog, zero masks. And we end up feeling like, what is it? Are we the paranoid ones here? Are we being like extremists in, in this sort of outlook? And what, you know, it is what it is. You know, I, I, I feel that we're not, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the reality. I see it everywhere I go. Right. You know? Right. And you, you wonder like which situations are, um, you know, elective and, and which are mandatory. Like I, we were watching the news last night and it's just, it's getting really, really bad right now. And I, I turned to my wife and like, I've been doing a church gig. This church I play at has been doing, it's a huge sanctuary. They have like 50 people in a sanctuary that seats 1200. Um, right, right. and you know, everybody is very, very distanced and it feels very safe. And I was like, man, should sure. I, should I be, should I be still doing this church gig? Like, am I going to have right. to duck out you of this for that? You even question what you thought or what you still consider to be a very safe, socially distant situation. Right. And she said, well, you know, I, I, I would feel better about you not doing that gig. I don't even like you going to the store. And I was like, well, the church gig is safer than the store. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, the grocery store, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. I hope I don't need like, listen, I know, I know this is a, it can end up sounding like a completely doom and gloom conversation, but it's a conversation we're all having. Yeah. It's reality that we're facing and living in. And we might as well talk about it. Cause the more we talk about it, you know, even just venting, you know, we're, and it's also, it's supportive. Yeah. I think that at the end of the conversation, we go, oh, man, that 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 guy or girl feels the same way. They're going through the same shit. You know, we're going to we're going to get to the end of this tunnel. So mm-hmm. and so there is a, a, a silver lining to the doom and gloom conversation about all this. I, I, I'm sure. Right. You know. Right. I also find that uh, as as someone who can kind of like get in my head and, you know, the more the more I scroll Instagram, the less secure I get. Uh, COVID has like. <laughs> really leveled the playing field as far as what everybody's doing. <laughs> I, know. I know, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like totally. I, would, I would hesitate to get on Instagram a year ago because I would it'd just be like, oh, so-and-so's doing this really fucking yeah, cool tour you know, right? and so-and-so's doing that. And now it's like nobody's doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It, it can it can definitely be depressing at times right. depending on how you look at it for sure. Right. And by the way, Everybody feels that like it's amazing when you actually crack that seal in that conversation with somebody who you thought was just, you know, oh, just for sure, feeling over with work. And they're like, no, no, <laughs> you know, yeah, it never goes away. That insecurity and that gig envy just never goes away. 
I think that's so great. I think some of us are more prone to it than others, but it's 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 always there. Yeah, yeah. Gig envy. Man, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot that phrase. Jeez. <laughs> Listening to uh, the podcast you did on on the Big Fat Five podcast, um, gotcha. which is the Big Fat Snare Drum thing. I forgot the guy's yeah, name. What's yeah. the guy's name? Ben Hilzinger. I was stranded at a gig, and he didn't know me from Jack. This is how nice. This is how nice he is. Walked up to him backstage and went, "Ben, hi, I'm Randy. I have no way to get to my hotel tonight. Can I? Can I do you, I heard you have rented a car. <laughs> can, I, can I drive with you? Keep you company on like an like three hour drive. It was it wasn't like oh my god. No no no. It wasn't like fifteen minutes. Like you know an Uber trip. Right. It was like serious. Yeah. Ben saved my life that night, man. It's too, super. That's cool. He's yeah. got he's got such a cool concept for a podcast with this big fat five thing. So like every every <laughs> guest and we're gonna we're gonna uh, like our podcast and his podcast I think are gonna find a, a way or two to to hook up and, and do some stuff together. Um, but uh, uh, it's a it's such a cool concept because every guest kind of lists five. It's like not their top five favorite drummers or not their top five records or whatever. It's like five moments in yeah. music yeah, right. that like yeah. blew your mind and kind of shaped you as a drummer. And it could be a fill. Still stick, still stick yeah. to this. Yeah. I mean, it might be a fill. It might be a certain groove on a certain song, but it's just like these little moments yeah. instead of a big subject, yeah. like a, um, you know, like a whole drummer's uh, catalog. So I, I loved, I loved what you had to say about, about everything you listed there. Um, and, it made me wonder like, so, so you listed kind of these five moments, these like isolated little things. And it made me wonder like, who are the drummers or the records that you went deep on that were more than just like an isolated sort of holy shit moment? Uh, drummers. That's easy. That's easy. (laughs) That that for number one, uh, being the only white kid in an all black seven member funk and reggae band, the minute, the nanosecond I heard the police, I, lost my my shit because here was even though they were sort of a punk pop reggae band it was a white guy playing reggae in certain songs and i was just like immediately magnetically drawn to their music i mean it was already great songwriting already it was already so much of that going on mm-hmm. but um how innovative and original and song oriented was copeland as a drummer uh, you, you know, so the more I dove in, the more I learned, the more I lifted, stole, you know, yeah. you know, mimicked. So, yeah, I mean, that that was one guy and one one uh, band that uh, that I went deep on. And I freaking like I, I, you know, like many musicians and many drummers, I owned everything. I bought it all like yeah. I had 
box sets of <laughs> like crazy, like unreleased this and that, you know, and I would listen over and over. And I, and literally it was a, a music school for me. Yeah. It was one of the many, but it was one of the first music schools for me as to what you could do and get away with. And, you know, like, yeah, where he would place things and how, and these songs were on the radio. These were top 10 right. tunes with a drum beat that didn't have a kick drum on the one. Right. right. They would drop on three. And, and, so, and they would have a different groove yeah. for every verse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. So, so that was one other thing. And, you know, Sir Copeland and the Police was, was one for me. That was one. Um, the other one, the main one, and I, I, I know I get it all the time still to this day, and I don't mind it. I don't mind people going, it sounds like you completely stole from that guy. And I'm like, well, I just love him so much. I don't care. I love his playing. He's Steve Gadd. Yeah. And so I, I went down that, that rabbit hole of, of seeking out all the stuff that he played on, mm -hmm. you know, back in the Chuck Mangione days, not just, of course, everybody, you know, everybody's brain squirted out when they heard 50 ways to leave your lover, but <laughs> I, I wanted to know other things he was playing on, you know, and so, yeah, you know, I, I loved I loved that that Gad came from a rudimental background and it showed up in a lot of his playing, and I, I that was the same for me. I, it, before I ever owned a drum set, um, which I got for a Christmas, age fifteen, I when I was twelve, I was in a marching band, drum and bugle corps. And I did that because I grew up around drumsticks and snare drums because my dad, as a hobby, was in the uh, Toronto Scottish Pipe Band. Oh, cool. And so that's why there's a picture of me as a baby with drumstick, you know, like floating around. Um, so I, I, I had – I was always exposed to drumming, but I didn't really, you know, sort of leap into it and realize that it was my love until about grade eight, you know, age 12, grade eight. And mm -hmm. then I marching band and then, you know, and then off we go, right. Bands, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I think that the fact that the first six, seven years of me ever playing a drum kit, I only played funk and reggae and Motown. I think that still helped, helped me today as far as my outlook and my, you know, feel for things, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm playing a smashy rock tune with Crash Ride. I'm I still somewhere down deep is 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 a funk song playing in my head. Right. You know. And your influences just they aren't just about how you sound. They're about how you approach it. Right. So you you might yeah. not sound like uh, Stuart Copeland, but like his no, no. his approach is in your head. I don't sound Absolutely. I don't sound like Neil Peart. Peart. Uh, yeah. but Neil's approach is always in my head. Um, right, right. You know? yeah. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned, um, Copeland and Gad, because I think like there are probably quite a few similarities between those two and quite a few differences, but, um, they're both players that strike me as just being very in the moment and very free and yeah. not, not free in the sense of, um, uh, you know, like free jazz or whatever, but, but just sure. free in terms of like not being afraid to try stuff and not being afraid sure. to be themselves in any given moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rounding out, you know, when, when, um, being a young drummer in Toronto, I was fortunate to study with two guys, uh, Dan Bodanis and Rick Ratton. And I always took away, uh, with me the fact that, even though I was given Latin exercises out of Ted Reed's syncopation book, 
I, I never had any aspiration and and really still don't. I mean, I, I, I aspire to still round out my musicality, but I just know that I'm not going to get a Latin gig. I'm just, it's not, you know, right. I'm not on, on that radar, right? Yeah, yeah. But I can't tell you how invaluable it was for me to study it, mm-hmm. to learn the rhythms, to, to get that, that other set of, of layers under my belt. And through osmosis, I'm sure it creeps out here and there as far as, you know, syncopated ideas, as far as the actual ability to have four-way, five-way coordination. Um, all of that stuff, I think, eventually seeps into you as a player. And I studied, you know, I studied a little jazz. I studied a little Latin. I, and, and I would never convincingly take either of those gigs because I never, I never went down that rabbit hole far enough. Right. You know, same with fusion, stuff like that. But, but I love listening to all of it. I love going, one day I'm going to work on this. Oh, you know, I'm going to hear a jazz thing go, man, I would love to, I'm going to try and lift that a little bit or, yep. or break it down and analyze it and fit, you know, anyway. So all of that shit is, I found important and I got, I got that, yeah, you know? Yeah. And when you say like all this studying you did, you were taking private lessons with these guys in Toronto. Yeah. Did you go to college? I didn't. No, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I am a great 12 graduate. <laughs> yeah. I think that my college and my university for music was my private instruction and, and listening and, and asking guys like you and anybody that I met, I just heard you do this awesome thing. Can you just show me what that is? And, just through that, like, and now, I mean, imagine growing up in this landscape where everything is accessible to you, whether you pay for it or not, yeah. on YouTube and Instagram. The amount of resource for learning is endless. It literally is. And there's no excuse. Yeah. Nobody now can say, I can't pay for lessons. It's, I, I still feel that private instruction is is integral because there's nothing like one-on-one someone helping you through learning something. Right. There's nothing like that. But that's not to say you can't look at, there are learning, you know, super beginner videos, intermediate, crazy advanced shit. Like there's, it's all out there. Yeah. For free. Yeah. You know. So that's definitely, that's definitely, uh, uh, an advantage. It's, it's well, it's an, it's an advantage. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. Cause it's hard to know where to start. Like I, I get it. it's overwhelming. You can get overwhelmed and want to literally hacksaw your arms off and never look at another. Like, I don't know if other people are like that. I want to just throw it out there that I get inspired and I get depressed yeah. because I think every musician, all of us deep down inside, have this little voice that says, I want to do that. I want to do everything. I want to be able to play every single thing I've ever heard in my entire life from everyone. And the reality is it's never going to happen. That's not who we are. Right. But that voice is still there. Yeah. We see something, we hear something, we're like, fuck, that's so good. I, I, fuck, I wish I could do that. And, and we, I think we all feel that. And sometimes we do it. Sometimes we take an afternoon and we fucking, I, I have literally taken two hours and broken down a two bar Vinny fill. And now I know it for sure. I can't use it anywhere, but God (laughs) damn it. I learned it. And I'm like, I'm not, yeah, it's that this is some next life shit. I'm never going to be that guy right. and have, have that, but I can play one of his 
opening fills, you know. Right. But inside that fill that I lifted and broke down and learned and practiced slowly and then built the speed up, I learned more things. I actually was a little tiny drum lesson in that fill. Yep. You tell somebody to learn 50 ways. I'm telling you now, I can tell you there are at least three different layers of education in that drum beat for drummers if they don't know it. Oh yeah. I'm teaching it to one Already. of my students now. He's like, he's like 13. <laughs> um, and, and he's getting it like it. He's, he's put together some, some pretty complex stuff. Like he did sissy strut a while back, which oh, for wow. a kid, his age, I was like, damn. And, and fool in the rain. Um, and so now oh my God, I was, I was playing disco at age 15. <laughs> that was my calling card. Yeah. I can play four on the floor and open hi-hats. Like, so yeah. you're, you're absolutely right about just that one, uh, you know, that two measures of 50 ways. There's like, you know, multiple, multiple, uh, just things that it teaches you that you can use in so many different ways. So I, I'm, I'm torn about like, we're just getting into it with this kid and, and I, I don't know if we should just like go from the beginning note for note, or if I should like extract the like left foot, high hat, right hand, left hand sequence. And like, you can come at it from all these different ways. Uh, that's what I meant by how many different lessons you can find in right. a, a one bar or two bar pattern. And, and I, and I, um, tend to lean towards the latter of what you mentioned, which is I break things down yep. and isolate something and make it its own exercise. And then when you put the thing back together slowly, it's like, Oh, they've already got the mechanics of those separate pieces together. Right. And you know, right. it's, it's because it's daunting. If you try to just show someone that group, which you can, some people are, are, are sponges and they pick up super quick. Some don't, everybody has their own level. Yeah. But for those who don't aren't photographically, you know, inclined in terms of their memory. Yeah. I always break break shit down and tear it apart and make little separate exercises and show it. I've been I've been thinking more and more about that idea of like separate mechanics um, uh, through through my teaching, but also through the increased amount of recording I've been doing in here. Um, yeah, and it's just like hung a lantern on how. Um, you know, the way, the way I move affects the way I sound. So you can, you can take, you know, a fairly complex thing, like, like 50 ways and kind of break down the mechanics and then put them back together. But I've been doing that with just like backbeats on the snare, you know, sure, like sure, how, how am I actually moving my left hand to play this backbeat? Yeah. And you know, why did that one at the end of the fourth <laughs> bar not sound great? It's like, Oh, cause I was like kind of raising up my shoulders and getting ready for a fill and, Whatever. So, um, yeah, I've been thinking more and more just about like, what, what does this one thing have to do and how do I make it do that same thing with, with everything else? And it's just the sound that comes out when you're thinking about that stuff is like, oh, holy shit, everything's breathing. Everything's like has life and, you know. Agreed. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. You, uh, you talk about, you know, the most simple approaches to drumming prior to even getting into like, you know, uh, um, developing your hand technique or developing your independence or developing other things. Even in my, my years recently, I have started to, um, realize that I need to be comfortable with where I hit the snare drum. Cause you're talking about, you know, how, how you're hitting your two and four and, I'm just going to assume that when you're playing pop, when you're playing rock or blues or 
country, to, you're you're hitting a rim shot, right, on your snare drum. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, every snare, right? Yeah, but we also all know, or we forget. A lot of us forget that snare drums sound inherently crazy different when you don't hit a rim shot. Yeah, and if you detune a snare a little bit, you tune that snare down and you want that fat thud from something, the only way you can get it is not by, you can't hit a rim shot. You have to hit it in the center of the drum without rim shot. Now, go play that track, never hitting one rim shot. Yeah. When all you regularly do is hit. That alone, just that is a lesson for yourself, for others. Like, it's like sitting down on someone else's drum kit that you've never sat on and you've got to play, you, you just sat in at a jam. That feeling on your own drum set is something that I, I have learned myself and I, and I try and motivate others to, to get under their belt because it doesn't happen every time. But once in a while, you're going to play a ballad and someone's going to say, well, we want this really nice deep fat snare sound, but every time you hit a rim, you're pulling away bottom end from that drum. Yeah. And now you have to play a drum fill that big energetic drum fill that normally you would crack the shit out of the snare. You have to remember now it has to be on your mind. You have to think about that. You have to execute what you're thinking about mm -hmm. and not, you know, and, and so therein lies an entirely new level of playing for somebody. Yep. You know, yeah, I'm you're, you've been reading, we overlook, you've been reading my mail. You've been reading my mail man. because <laughs> like I, th this period has taught me how much, uh, of my playing was sort of geared towards, uh, live playing, which can be like trench warfare, you know, you're, you're, just, <laughs> yeah, you're cranking it up. I what, get it. And I what Mike's it. like, what, um, you know, part of live playing is just how it's it's not just about the sound. It's about how everything is perceived and how everything feels to you on stage and the audience and like how, th you know, how things are perceived by people in a live situation is so much different from how things are heard by microphones. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that is some. An, that, and that. And there you go, right? You you talked about everybody through COVID having home setups and having to dive in the pool of learning how to record their gear. And you just touched on something that it's like, okay, well, maybe I can't crash as loud. Maybe I can't. I have to play my kick and snare loud, but my ride soft. And I talk about that in, in a drumio lesson that we laugh about, but it's way harder than you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Try and play the same crazy loud rock groove and with that bell on the right and just play the bell whisper soft and hammer the shit out of your kick and snare. Go ahead. Yeah. I give you <laughs> I give you a couple of minutes because it doesn't come naturally. It's something you have to work on slowly and learn. It doesn't take long. It only takes a couple of minutes for you to sort of for your body and your brain to go, okay, I get it. But it's not something that comes naturally. It's not something you might even want to do live, but when you're recording your kit, you might want to consider not cr smashing the crap out of the top end of the metal of the kit, right? <laughs> every, I'm, every I'm considering matter. it. I'm considering it, Randy. <laughs> I'm not convinced yet. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love, I love smashing shit big time. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. Yeah. I, there's there's got to be a way that I can hit the shit out of these drums and get a great sound out of this bedroom. It's got to be a way. Right? No, there is not. <laughs> <laughs> right.
what's been your project during this time? Have you had like a, a project, musical or otherwise, that uh, this time has allowed you to to tackle? I, I have. There's there's been uh, recently. Um, I've been posting a little bit about about the Derek Frank CD that I did. It's it's I, I'm I post a lot about it only because it's a it's a style of music and a genre that I don't get to play a lot. I don't, you know, so I was so giddy about this, this collection of songs that I've been jamming up, you know, posts here and there. In fact, the other, just last month we went out uh, and did five of the same tracks live in a studio and had a, a, a small camera crew. So that's going to come out any day now, cool. which, which I, you know, so that's one thing that, that just recently was like, um, Josh Gooch on guitar, and of course he's from Shania's band, and Derek Frank plays in Shania and Gwen, Gwen Stefani's band, and uh, Ty Bailey on keys. Ty's got the Katy Perry gig. Right. Ty is a good friend of mine, and he's the reason that we're doing this today. So I love thank it. you, I thank love you, Ty. It. I love I love the just, shit out of Ty. Let's just, talk, let's just talk shit about Ty for about five minutes. Let's do it. Did he wear a shirt for that video shoot or not? Oh my god! And what's with the tattoos already? <laughs> Uh, he's such a good-looking, strapping guy. He Come really on. is a specimen. Man. I hate him. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's uh, definitely a brilliant player, and I'm glad I'm glad to to know him. Yeah, me and too. Call him a friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, uh, Ty. Yeah, the, the, we love you. <laughs> it, uh, the other uh, project that for the last couple of years that has been percolating um, for me is a band called Red Lad. And uh, I'm super proud of of the stuff that we've been doing. Um, I met these guys. They're three boys from Moscow. And you know, it's challenging, right? We, you know, they come to L.A. They before COVID, they would come once a year for like a month or two. We would record, we would do some showcases where you know getting all of that that indie shit together as you do. And uh I think one of the video or, or the first uh music video, it's I, I'm not even gonna look it's over a hundred thousand views. Um cool. And they shot that there and I make a little bit of a, a cameo in a very funny way and I'm not gonna say it anybody wants to go <laughs> check it out. You'll see. Um so there's uh there we in the bank we have a bunch of we have like four or five tracks already uh we've actually we have a whole cd but we've only released uh one single mm -hmm. and uh you can find us uh, um we have a youtube channel and a instagram of cats all, all under red lad yeah <laughs> nice, so, nice so those cool. are the, like those sound like some cool some cool recording projects that you've been been doing like with other people for other people has has there been something that you've wanted to get to for randy like either something you wanted to shed really bad or some like fucking home improvement project or cause like I'm, I, I'm curious about what everybody like, is, is, you know, I want to go, about. I want to go full on heritage. I'm half Ukrainian. So I'm going to fucking jam polka. I am going <laughs> to, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I, I, uh, you know, if we're still staying in the musical realm here, we don't have to. We don't like. I, I, I interviewed yet. Otis Brown a couple months ago, and I asked him what his COVID project was, and he was like, "I built a weight room off the side of my house. We bought a bunch right. of used weights." Right. <laughs> yeah. My, I, you know, it's just going to sound so commonplace because I've seen it online, but what I, I already uh, did this a little bit, but I'm doing it massively now, which is which is cooking and. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, throw the pun out about my last name, but it does exist. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I, so of course I've been buying, 
you know, fucked up appliances, shit that I never would have, you know, I never would have wanted or needed. And, and I am so into it and I do crazy shit. Like, you know, I make my own peanut butter. I make my own almond butter. I make my own ginger lemon shots. I do, loose, I brew, you know, like, and then there's of course all the meal stuff, but on the regular, um, uh, you know, I make my own cilantro hummus from scratch. Like, Oof. That I, I just thought, you know, this shit that I normally buy packaged with preservatives, I'm just going to make it organic and do it all myself at home. And, yeah, so yeah. much of that shit is so easy to make. Um, <laughs> and, man, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, do you know Marcus Finney? I don't. He's a Nashville drummer, um, and he's been on the show a, a couple of times in a, in a couple of different uh, capacities. But about, uh, about two months ago, so he and I are both heavy into cooking, and, like, our Instagram is, like, half cooking. <laughs> So right. a couple months ago, he and I just did an episode just about cooking. We talked about food and cooking for like an entire episode. So I, di- I, I, I direct you to that. Your, I combed through your feed and just started seeing all this. And I went, uh, here we go. That's why I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, great. I just throw me in the pile in the corner. There right, right, right. Everyone else that's like, but what? We're home now and we can't go to restaurants. And yeah. We can't, it, Either learn or or you're you're gonna have ramen. You right. might as well get your chops together. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, man, maybe we should do we should do volume two of uh, of cooking drummers maybe with Randy Cook in 2021. <laughs> I'm in. I'm down. You heard it live. <laughs> I would love that, bud. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the the last thing I wanted to ask you, just kind of backtracking a little bit, is like you're you're yeah. an, you're an LA guy. You've been an LA guy for a long time. Um, I have, and and I spent five years in LA, and and realized that I was I was not an LA guy. I was not cut out for it. It was it was not the place for me. So LA LA and I just shook hands, said good game, right? You know, right. we're done. Um, good game, good game. So yeah. what was it that uh, like? How did you end up in LA? What was it that drew you to LA? And and to what do you attribute uh, you know the the success you've had there? Because it's a different animal. It's just <laughs> like you know you talk about the big music towns. There's New York, Nashville, and Chicago, uh, and and LA, and sure. every one of them has you know just sort of different rules and it's a different playing field. So what what do you have to say about <laughs> about your LA experience? <laughs> Well, I can tell you that that between, you know, L.A., New York and Nashville, L.A. Um, had, had won the choice uh, on two levels and they were equal. And these two levels were uh, versus New York or Nashville. Even though New York is a giant version of Toronto where I grew up in, like it's very multicultural, it's quick paced. It's street, streety and gritty and like fa- fast and like intense. And I, and that's what I love about New York. Um, uh, New York had snow. <laughs> so, and and, and uh, people don't like to talk about it, but so does Nashville. And, and so <laughs> is that like I, the dirty secret uh, about Nashville? Is it, it is, snows they, there? They don't, no, it's all like hush hush. <laughs> don't, don't talk. You know, oh, no, we rarely get snow. Never get bullshit i've been there and <laughs> slipped on ice in someone's driveway it's it's it is a mess as much a mess as any winter can slam in someone's <laughs> face so anyways so out of the out of the uh, out of the climates i always was drawn to warmer weather it's just you know oddly enough being from a a, a cold winter city um i never i just was never that guy i was never an ice skater snowboarder skier i i loved hockey i played a lot of street hockey but 
I just didn't want to do it in a cold arena. So, <laughs> so I, I just love, I just like warm weather. I'm just yeah. that guy. So, so there, there was half, half of the battle for me in terms of the choice. Right. The other half was really simple. I just knew way more Canadians that had already moved to LA. Yeah. So I, I knew that I would have not have any work, but I would at least have a social circle to sort of integrate myself in instead of like literally showing up to a, a club, <laughs> you know, alone, right. not knowing anyone. And, yeah. and I, I, you know, revere um, guys and girls who have done that because that, that takes m- way more. I mean, it, it took some, a leap of faith to move from your country. Right. Trust me. There's, and I'm, I'm not even going to get this another podcast to get into that process. Um, it wasn't easy or inexpensive, but I will tell you once you're here, um, it is a little, it is a little daunting because you're moving to a city that is saturated, almost oversaturated with really sincerely brilliant musicians. Like yeah. there are just. Uh, an unending amount of great, reliable, solid, musical handsome, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> young, good, like they are, like just, just, it just you can't, you can't, you know, walk a block without running into one of them. Right. Trust me. Right. So that can be intimidating and daunting, but like New York, Nashville, and LA, this is versus where I grew up, where we have a beautiful, thriving music community, but it's smaller. Mm-hmm. We're one tenth the population, so imagine what our music um, scene is like. Um, so I, I wanted to at least be in a a market in a in a community where a lot of shit was going on. Whether I was ever going to get to touch any of it, I it was like the lottery. You don't buy a ticket, you don't win. If I didn't come here and try. Uh, I just would just never know if it was going to work out or not. Okay, so past that, um, once I was here, it wasn't uh, an overnight story for me at all. And by the way, just a little disclaimer, I am still nowhere near. I, I consider myself a mid-level guy. I've, I've gotten some bucket list moments and gigs in my life, and I am already happy. But uh, I... I for whatever uh, progress that I've made here, it didn't come overnight, it, and it didn't come quickly. I had to do basically what most people do, which is play the any gig I could for a hundred bucks for or for nothing. Right. Play gigs that I necessarily maybe I didn't like that kind of music so much, or I wasn't something. It wasn't something that I listened to, but I I had to like do the thing. I remember one of the first gigs I did in L.A. I subbed in. I was a sub on a cover band gig that was a disco band near Anaheim. Mm-hmm. I had to buy a wig, a disco wig. You want to talk about about swallowing your pride? I moved from Toronto. I was pretty established in Toronto as a recording and touring guy. I'm driving to what is the what is the city beside Anaheim Fulton Fullerton. I can't remember what Fullerton Fullerton Yeah yeah I'm driving to Fullerton and on my passenger side is the disco wig <laughs> I'm going for by the time I get home I'm going to clear 80 bucks right okay because it's only 100 I got I got to eat and I got to put gas in the car right so <laughs> like 
this is the the motivation and the determination and the discipline you have to scrape up from nowhere. Like you can listen, you can look at the any awards you've ever gotten. You can like look back through your credits, but it it's not none of it's going to get you a gig. Mm-hmm. Zero of it. It's it's nostalgic. It's great to to look at. It does give you a warm fuzzy feeling on a Sunday night, but that is not going to get you forward. And so I did what I tell others to do. I just went out and networked and met people, played for nothing, played for whatever someone would pay me, and and just hoped that that through word of mouth because when I moved here there you know, we didn't have Instagram and 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 forums like that that could instantly put you in front of a million people, right? Right? right. When I say a million, you know how low-bally I'm getting. Yeah. You can you can partic- you know, you can Anyways, so you literally had to rely on if someone wanted you to do a demo, you would do it for whatever or nothing and hope that the engineer on the session liked you Yeah, and would take your number. And then you hoped that the producer liked you and would use you again or tell another producer about you and so on and so forth and on down the line. Right. It, it, I, I'm not, you know, recreating, recreating the, the, the wheel here, but I... I just uh, um, am in awe of, I know that now in the landscape we're in, like overnight, musicians can land huge touring gigs. Musicians can, and it's amazing, it's brilliant, it's beautiful. It's because they have that exposure Mm -hmm. where, so, you know, you asked me about my journey. I didn't have that that, uh, leg up as far as I, I would consider it. Uh, And so, yeah, it was, it was a slow and steady climb uh, through live gigs and through sessions that live gigs led to sort of slightly better live gigs and certain sessions led to sl- certain slightly better sessions. And right. so did you find that it was bifurcated like that where like session work led to session work and live work led to live work? There wasn't much overlap. I, I, I still feel that to this day. I remember huh. as, as an example, I auditioned for, I can, it's fine for me to say it now cause cause I can look back with, with the good friends that I have made now, but I I auditioned once um, for a Hillary Duff tour. Whoa! And and I remember being all nervous, and I just you know I may you know it may not be the music that's on my Spotify playlist, but it was a valid you know national touring act. Yeah. And I wanted to go you know and try and get this gig, and and uh, I, I gave it my best shot, and I didn't get it. And the reason I bring it up is I was already on not one but two Hillary Duff albums. Cool. <laughs> what, the first one, which was I was on the single for the first record. Huh. And so, so you asked me, does the recording world and the touring world overlap? And I say, mm, sometimes not even at all. Like, <laughs> you know, I have recorded for artists that, that here, here's the thing. When you do a session, you typically get called by a producer or uh, by a producer, not even the artist, right. a producer. That producer has a phone book full of his or her favorite musicians. When there's a touring gig, a live touring act, there's a musical director, an MD, and that MD has their phone book of their favorite people. Right. And it really comes down to whose radar you're on or not on. Of course, you have to have 
you know, your skills and your, your stuff together and be able to be, do the gig. But barring all of that, that, uh, stuff, that's to me, I think that's why they don't overlap because you've got two different, completely different sets of camps that govern those things. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, that one, that first Hillary Duff single that I was on, that's me on drums. When you see the video of that song, they had an actor playing, lip-syncing the drums to my playing. And when you went and bought a ticket to a Hillary Duff concert, you were seeing a live guy. So in all in one swoop, you had a guy to do the session, you had a guy to do the video, and a guy to play the tour. Yeah. Not e- none of those were even the same. Right, right. So It's something I'm yeah. thinking about more and more because, you know, up to this point, my career has been primarily live like i've done sessions here and there um sure. but i've been a live player and um it's it's become apparent to me that um there's just a whole separate uh set of of legwork and networking to do for for session work um and that's the stuff i've got to dig into now especially with this room like you know this this room is for the foreseeable future my primary vehicle for Play, playing music and getting paid, um, and, and with and my existing great- sorry with, with my existing live contacts, you know I've gotten some work, I've gotten some projects in here, but yeah. I'm I'm looking at like exactly what you're talking about. There's just a whole separate set of people whose radar I need to get on. Yeah, and and you're gonna get on that radar, and you are because of YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, this now is the is the forum. Now back. Prior to even prior to COVID, this has nothing to do with COVID. If three years ago you asked me how how can I get more session work, I would have told you play live more <laughs> because live when you know when you play live and someone sees you, there's bound to be someone that sees you and an artist or another person, and that's your exposure to your playing organically happens that way. People hear you and see you, and then they go. Hey, you know, I'm going to actually do a demo of some original songs. I I loved what you did in that band. Whatever, I like you as a player and as a guy. I'm going to hire you. Okay, so that was one thing. Simultaneously, as the Instagram and YouTube awareness started to sort of fire up and get really intense, I was telling people, do as much live as you can and videotape your live shit. Like, don't just do iPhone camera. Try and get the board tapes. Try and get make make it so that the audio is nicer than then crunchy distorted because now we're all spoiled now nobody yeah. wants to hear that shit so so and now no live but now their instagram and youtube is even at more of a height so now i'm telling people get on your kit it doesn't matter if it's in your basement or your bathroom get four mics get two mics yep just play record go play if you want to do drum covers or originals, like have people send tracks, like just start to expose yourself on that platform. Of course, there's another level of now, okay, I uploaded a video. My family and my friends are going to see it. You know, big whoop. How is that? going? <laughs> but like I said about the lottery ticket, you don't buy, you don't win. Yeah. At least that video is there. If someone wants to go, you want to see Zach? Check this out. Yep. It's already there. It's not like, Zach, dude, uh, I recommended you for a funk gig. You got to go home right now, play a funk beat to like Ohio players and then get like, you don't, you don't have to go through that shit. You just want that shit out there already. Yeah. And that is the, you know, that to me is, is, uh, 
the challenge of what we're facing, and I think that it's exciting. I think that we've all got better resources now. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Back in the day, to make a drum kit sound good, you needed really good hardware, you know, Neve preamps, API preamps. Man, you know, you can run out and get UA plugs for yeah. 79 bucks, and your kit can sound unbelievable. You can trigger. I don't do a lot of triggering, but... I another, haven't gotten into that at oh all either. Like, I'm right I now... I have like six mics. I have six like mid-level mics in here, the same mics that everybody else fucking has, and and uh, Scarlet eighteen i twenty, going into Logic, and I'm I'm just using the you know the the native Logic plugins. Like I have not bought plugin one yet. Okay, um, I'm gonna tell you. I just talked to a session player, runs Logic, has probably that same interface, played me the track prior and then played me the track after running some triggers and i was so elated and depressed all at the same time that i was like <laughs> like and and you can send your you're sending your drum tracks to someone like that like they sound processed already they sound beautifully mixed and compressed it's like yeah and uh, i got cool you know yeah like I'm still uh, uh, gonna go down. I'm absolutely. I know that it's something like that. Drummers don't like to talk about because, like, hey, I worked on my drum sound. I've got good mics. I've got good pre's. Uh, you know, I do this and that. But there's just a, that's just another level or layer that you might as well learn and be open to. And I have to learn it now because yeah. I got yeah. I got blown away the other day. I'm definitely open to it. I'm just wary of like getting out in front of my skis. Uh, you know, cause I, I feel like I'm still learning, uh, just about how to get a good raw drum sound. Um, absolutely. absolutely. And that's, that's paramount, but always start there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But when you just said, I got six mics, I got this preamp, you get it to as good as it can be. And most likely it's going to be great because a producer is going to take that and then they're going to go and do all of their mixing to that. They're going to do their, they're going to do their processing, right? Right. Whether that's running your tracks through that hardware or that, um, that software, they're going to do that work. But sometimes you might have a, a, a friend or a client that goes, look, I'm just a dude. It's just me. I don't have, I don't have a producer. Right. I'm a singer-songwriter. I want to hire Zach, and it's a rock track. It's straight down the middle, Americana rock, like a John Cougar-type track. You play performance with your six mics, and it's like, it's pretty good. But now, unless you have those producer chops and you know how to use all those things, you can take in Logic to start triggering. And now, the minute I tell you to trigger samples, the amount of snares and kicks. Yeah. <laughs> available to you to, that your drum kit in that room can sound like is ridiculous yeah yeah um it's insane yeah, so. it's insane and i part of part of the other reason i'm i'm sort of not going there yet is because um i'm i'm like my ears are opening up you know like i it's this it's this process of being able to hear what i don't have and what i can't sure. do you know, sure. so the better I get with this stuff, the more I'm, I'm able to sort of perceive, like I need, I need more of this. I need less of that. Um, so, uh, or, or like I said, I need this thing that I don't have, whether it's a plug-in or a piece of hardware or whatever. 
now that I think of it, I want you to know that the drummer that schooled the shit out of me the other day was Britt Bowman. You can find her on uh, Instagram, but like she played me a track with and without the samples. And, and I, you know, I just never have done that. I've never, I, I come home, I send files, you know, and, and call it a day and hope that, hope that on the other end it works out and it sounds good. But I right. thought, you know, for those people who don't have that production that production chop shit together on the other end, what would it take for me to just take an extra couple of minutes and trigger some samples and go check this out? And uh, yeah, man, I, I don't know how to do, you know, I, I, that's something I've never learned. It's just another thing that I think is worth learning. I'm yeah. going to tell you now. Tell me her Amazing. name again. Britt Bowman. Britt Bowman. Yeah, I'm not, I so, don't know her. I'm not hip to her. I should, yeah. I should find her. I will. You will. Yeah. But you see, because I was like, I was kind of jealous. I heard some of the drum sounds. I was like, and I, you know, I knew she had a setup just like you just like that. You know, you know, here's, here's a, a drum room. I got drum. I got some mics. I got to focus right. I'm using logic. And I heard a track back. I was like, okay, fuck, wait the fuck a minute. Wait, <laughs> how did that happen? Right. Like, unless you're like, uh, like a incredibly advanced produ producer that I don't know about, how did that drum sound happen with the, with that focus right? Yep. And those, uh, you know, anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Schooled I was, so on, onward and forward. All right, good luck. Good luck, man. <laughs> I'm going to learn, I swear to God, I'm going to learn. <laughs> uh, man, thanks, thanks for talking with me, man. This was, this was great. I'm glad we got to hook and, up. Thank you to I Ty. Thank you to Ty for making it. it happen. Thanks for anybody that endured the the just random ranting and raving of, of with Zach and I. Thank you to all of you. This is every episode. This is me ranting and raving with somebody. <laughs> right. Yeah. We did, and we didn't venture too far into like get off my lawn territory. I've been I've been known <laughs> I've been known to just go straight old guy and be like ah I I wish there were no subwoofers ever. <laughs> yeah, I don't like those stools. I'm telling you right now. I don't want to. I don't want anything smashing me in the butt while I'm playing drums. Very much. It's okay. I'm that guy. Yeah. Oh man, cool. Thanks again, Randy. Great talk. Thanks, Zach. Love you, buddy. I can't wait to chat with you again, and uh, and uh, we'll see you on Instagram. <laughs> oh, well, for sure. Right. We'll both be there. There's nowhere else to be. <laughs> All right, bud. Cheers, man. All right, cheers. Ciao. Thanks again to Randy. Always fun hanging with him. Check him out on Derek Frank's new release entitled 11 Years Later. Wherever you get music, that record is pure fun. Just some first-rate rhythm section dudes on a joyride together. Next week, Matt Krauss will be bringing you his interview with the great Dave Elich. We've been wanting to talk with Dave for a long time, so we're stoked to finally be making that happen. We'll be taking two weeks off for the holidays, and we'll be back on January 7th for our 300th episode, which we've got some cool plans for. So stay tuned, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.